It's the Skinny Podcast, only on Local12.com. Now, here's Richard Skinner. Welcome into the Skinny Podcast. It's the weekly Pope edition presented by Ryan Kiefer of Prime Lending. I'm Richard Skinner, Local12.com digital sports commerce editor with Rick Boring. Each and every week, we look at sports topics of local interest, maybe a national topic or two. We've usually got a gambling segment. I'll give you a Belmont Stakes pit pick for this week in the gambling segment and a spot in the podcast at the end where you can ask me a question on any topic. Just go to Twitter, hit the hashtag AskSkinnyAnything. Rick, how are we this fine June day? I'm good. It wasn't exactly easy coming up with topics for today's show as we continue to get farther into the summer, but I, I, I think we got enough to get through it here. Yeah, I know. I, 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 I'm kind of noting that this feels like it's one of the more down Junes in a long time. I mean, you got no really mandatory Bengals mini camp, right? You got, um, you know, these OTAs and they're giving us once a week access and that's fine. I'm, I'm good with some of that, but boy, the, the, the Reds have just the apathy there. Did you, by chance, did you watch the end of the game last night by any I, chance? I, I did. <laughs> you could have counted the fans. Could you not? Yeah. Well, I mean, that, that's not shocking at all. No, I mean, we knew that was coming ever since opening day. Yeah, it was just it was just funny to see that at the end. We're literally it's almost like, why did you people stay? What was the point? I guess for some kids, they got a couple kids got a foul ball. So there was at least that for them. Yeah, there's one for each of them if they wanted it. Right. Good call. Good call. Well, let's get into some baseball talk. The Reds are three and four since we last talked last Thursday. They'll wrap up a four game series against the Diamondbacks here in a few hours as we're recording this on Thursday morning. The story of the week was the pitching performances the Reds got from a few of their young guys, Hunter Green and Graham Ashcraft. Skinny, what do you make of the Reds' young guns continuing to pitch so well? I, I've told you from the outset, I love Ashcraft. I, I just I love everything about him. I love his makeup. I love the fact that that you know he he forces you to not make solid contact, and he's he he can he can throw one by you when he has to, but he doesn't seem overly concerned with that. Um, uh, you know, we'll get through the league here a couple of times and we'll see what happens second time around and all those good things. Uh, and for Hunter Green, it's just a matter of consistency, right? I mean, the nights he's electric, I mean, my lands on on uh, whatever night that was, Tuesday night. I mean, you talk about just electric um, or Monday night, whatever the heck night there was. That, that That's to, to give up a bunt single, then a strike him out, throw him out and retire 20 in a row. That's what that's what dominant high school pitchers do against mediocre high school teams, right? And that's what it looked like, too. I mean, he yeah, was right, just overwhelming right. guys. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 it certainly looks like a good building block. I, I wish Lodolo would get back sooner rather than later so we can see him fit in the mix and then hang our hat on. All right, here's at least three-fifths of a rotation that we're going to have in place in, in, in three years, four years, five years, when hopefully you get some of those bats, especially from Dayton, um, ready to play. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe a month or so ago, you were looking at where they were at. It was like, could this season get any worse? Because we talked about it before it all started. This was the reason to be excited about this year's team was the young pitching staff and seeing what they might be able to become. And with Lodolo getting hurt and green off to a slow start, it was like, Oh man, where is this season going? This is as bad as it could get, but seeing him and Ashcraft turn it around recently has been, it's really saved the season for me in a lot of ways because it it is starting to get fun watching these guys ashcraft his numbers don't make any sense but the more i see him the more i like what i'm seeing just because like you said he's forcing guys to make bad contact with the cutter and the sinker he almost never throws a straight pitch everything's moving a little bit and he goes right after you so guys just aren't able to square him up i mean he's not fooling anybody he's not striking anybody out at all 
In fact, he's not getting any swings and misses. Every time he throws a strike, it feels like guys are putting him in play, but it's all a bunch of ground balls for the most part. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's throwing so many of those cutters and sinkers. Like you said, maybe the, the next time he faces a lot of these guys, it'll be different. But so far, you got to love the the style with which he pitches. It, it's it's different. Yeah, because all we're enamored with is the strikeout, right? We're enamored with the big arm and the guy who can get you 8, 9, 10 Ks and who throws it 99 to 100 miles an hour, and we're enamored with that. Um, and, you know, I, I know it's the whole concept of if there's enough balls put in play, you know, hits are going to find some holes. But I also go back to – they're not barreling him up and hitting Adam balls, man. They're, they're, you know, the contact is not great against him. And I think that's really sustainable. I, I hope I'm right on that. I, it just feels that way to me. Yeah. I think the big question I have is obviously one, it's just so early that, you know, as, as people see him more, does that change? But two, I don't know if he has great control. I mean, looking at his numbers in the minors, that was a big concern for him coming up is he was throwing too many balls. Since he's gotten up here, he's thrown a ton of strikes, but I'm not sure if he has full control of the zone in general. I don't know if he can put it exactly where he wants it. So at some point, does that catch up to him? Maybe, but so far, so good. And on the other side with Green, it's just, it's so much fun watching a guy that has such insane potential try to figure it out because the stakes are so high. If any of this stuff does click consistently, then you have like a Cy Young type talent on your hands. I, when when yeah, he's I mean, right, he's dominant. Yeah, dude, the dude has had two of the most dominant starts, and that includes the Homer Bailey no-hitters, in my opinion. Two of the more dominant starts of a red starter in a long, long time for me, and they've all come, those two starts that I mentioned, the one in Pittsburgh and then the one the other day, those two dominant starts have come in the span of his first three months in the major leagues. Right. So in his first five starts, he had an 871 ERA, and opponents were hitting over 300 against him. And, and, and did that take it up to the Milwaukee game where he got bombed? Yes. Yeah, okay. And since then, in the last six starts, he has a 341 ERA, and he's held hitters to a 176 batting average. So, I mean, it's just been night and day. He really has changed around. He's had one or two shaky outings even within those last six right. starts. But for the most part, I mean, four of those outings have been – pretty darn good and the one thing I've noticed watching him it's not like it's some crazy new concept or anything but it seems like they maybe have just simplified his approach to batters instead of giving him all these different pitching scouting reports and I could be wrong about this but it just seems like it's a lot of throw the fastball up and in at people and then throw off speed low and away yeah and just keep working that no matter who's up to the pat it just throw them that way because it seems like every guy is getting something 97, 98, 99 right up in it on the fist to start their at bat. And then they're seeing the slider or the change up down and away later on in the at bat. And Barry Larkin brought up something on the broadcast the other night when he was pitching oh, really was, well. Oh, so, so was, was Barry allowed to speak over Sadak? <laughs> Briefly in between. Uh, but Barry brought up the, the idea of being effectively wild. Right. And I do think that's working a little bit in his favor, especially with him throwing so many fastballs up and in that it just makes you a little uncomfortable when you see 100 miles an hour coming in at your fists. No, I I think that was Nolan Ryan's MO in his day. I mean, he he had that, he had a different because he didn't throw a slider. He threw just a big, you know, big curveball to go along with his 100 mile an hour fastball in the day and age when nobody threw 100 miles an hour. But you can't get, couldn't get comfortable because he was effectively wild. I think there's some truth to that. 
Yeah. It just scares you enough because you, you realize this guy doesn't have the greatest control. It doesn't feel like, but when he's missing up in the zone a little bit, I think it just, it makes you dance in, in the box a little bit. And I definitely think that's been part of his success recently, but a big part of it is that he has been throwing more strikes in general. And he's been able to get the slider over too. So if he can continue doing that consistently, I think he has a chance to be really good. And then if you get Lodolo back into the mix and he starts pitching well, you really have something pretty fun to watch with these young pitchers. Yeah, and we talked about it last week a little bit too. Then it gives you the options at the trade deadline with what you want to do moving forward. I think that's the positive part too, is it gives you options. It doesn't mean you have to necessarily trade guys. And it also doesn't mean you have to necessarily hang on to guys. It gives you nice options. Well, speaking of options, the Reds are going to have some more options in their infield soon as they continue to get healthy. They had to decide this week whether to promote top prospect Jose Barrero and make him the starting shortstop immediately or keep him in AAA and let Farmer stay at shortstop. They opted to stick with Farmer for now. He ranks third on the team in batting average, fourth in slugging, and first in RBIs. Skinny, do you think the Reds should be making a guy like Barrero wait his turn for older players like Farmer and Brandon Jury on a team like this? No, but I do think that he needs some at-bats in the minors just coming back. I, I think that's that's the smart thing. You don't have to throw him in there right away. Let him let him spend a month at AAA getting some at-bats, playing every day, because I don't, I don't know if that would be the case until you decide to bring him up and plug him in every day. I, I will say when that time comes, or I guess if that time comes, uh, Kyle Farmer does need to be in the lineup every day somewhere, whether he plays second base, whether he plays third base, whether he's DHing, whether maybe he occasionally is the right-handed hitting first baseman. That cat needs to be in the lineup every day. He's earned it. Um, you know, I, I was talking to, to a couple of people that cover them, and, and he is clearly a, a team leader, and, and I think that um, he's done nothing to play his way out of the lineup. I get you want to see Jose Barrero. I know they're high on Jose Barrero, but he's still completely unproven. So I, I think the good part was you didn't just have to go, let's throw him in, sink or swim, and they've done that with some pitchers we've, that we've talked about, like Hunter Green. Um, but that was by design. I think in this case, let, let's see what he can do for a month down at Louisville, maybe shorter, whatever. Um, then bring him up and figure out, put him in at shortstop, let him play every day. If you're going to do it, don't just bring him up and let him be a backup. If he's coming up, let him play every day, but you got to find a spot in the lineup for Kyle Farmer somewhere. I get where you're coming from on that. I guess the counter to it would be, does it really matter if farmers earned it on a season like this? Does any thing that he or Brandon jury really does it matter at all to this team um, in the future? Yeah, that's a good point. Probably not. And, and and maybe it allows you to trade Kyle Farmer. Maybe there's a contender that loses a shortstop by the trade deadline. And, and you know, the, the guy's proven it now that he can play defensively and he's going to hit you a real hard 275 with some some gap-to-gap power. So maybe he becomes a, a, a chip to trade. So, uh, But I think the good part is you don't have to rush Barrero right now. You can just let him get some at-bats get his feet back under him, then bring him up. By the time that's going to be, Rick, we're probably going to talk early July, and then you can decide, is he our guy? And we can maybe deal Kyle Farmer. Yeah, and I don't think Farmer probably has a lot of value, but he could be a throw-in piece if you want to package him with one of the starting well, pitchers I don't know. I mean, like I said, it, but if you, if you have a contender that has a starting shortstop who gets hurt, and that's always a possibility, I think Kyle Farmer, you can do a whole lot worse than Kyle Farmer in your lineup. Yeah, especially the way he's hitting right now, too. Yeah, I mean, on, on a good team, he's probably going to be batting eighth or maybe even ninth. Pretty good eighth or ninth guy. Yeah, for sure. I just, I, I, and this isn't like a, a hill I'm dying on or anything. It's not a big deal to me, especially with the way he's been playing. But I guess for me, I just don't really care what 30 plus year old journeyman type guys are doing. 
for the this this team is all about the future. What they do this year, the rest of the way doesn't really matter at all. So no, I'm not, yeah, but but it doesn't mean like I said, it doesn't mean you have to just throw Jose Barrera in there right now. That's nope. fair, but it's, nope. but I mean, as soon as you feel no, like he's healthy and up yes. to speed, I'd like to see the young talent get their shot just to see is he a piece that you have something with, and is he a piece that you're gonna rely on going forward, or do you need to start looking at some other guys for those spots? Yeah, six foot six Ellie De La Cruz playing shortstop eventually. I wouldn't mind seeing that. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears here, Skinny. Bill Bardwell ranked the NFL team's offseasons in a recent piece for ESPN and had the Bengals sitting at 11th. Under what went right, he noted that the Bengals made improvements to the offensive line, but he also mentioned that it was a mostly quiet offseason. And under the heading of what the team could have done differently, he mentioned doing more to bolster the offensive line, particularly in the draft. What do you think of the Bengals offseason? And do you think it's possible that there's a decent chance we'll be sitting here next February expecting them to invest even farther up front, as Barnwell suggested in his piece? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm having a hard time knocking any of what they did in the postseason. Would I like to see a, a veteran tackle um, as a swing guy? I, I would. Keep in mind, they are at 88 players right now. They can carry 90 on a training camp roster. I wouldn't be shocked to see them bring a veteran swing tackle um, into camp. Um, there's also the possibility, in my opinion, of them looking at a, at a veteran wide receiver to bring into camp. They, you know, I did a story last week um, where, you know, Zach Taylor seems very comfortable with the depth and, you know, they they really didn't do anything in the draft at wide receiver either. And they brought in four undrafted guys to try to compete for roster spots. But I have a hard time, you know, banging the Bengals for what they did this offseason. They got three starters. They believe Jackson Carmen's a starter. You can, but, but they also then for that position, that specific position, drafted Cordell Volson to compete with him. And obviously, Jonah Williams is a starter. You're, you're, you know, you you can't listen. You've also got to look at future years monetarily. Everybody wants them to go, go want teams to go all in on the salary cap each and every year to the max degree. That's not what what good teams do, in my opinion. You got to look down the road, and especially with this team where Joe Burrow is going to command so much money, you better have the rainy day fund ready to roll. Yeah, and to be clear, I mean the Bengals were ranked 11th, so they're in the top third of the league in terms of the off seasons where they ranked. So it's not like this piece was bashing them at all. It, they're towards the top, but in the comments for each team ahead, you know, what could they have done differently and what might they not have done? And it was just kind of interesting for me to read that from Barnwell. Cause it seemed like most people were like, yeah, Bengals took care of business and his take seemed to be that, okay, yeah, they did what we expected them to do, but did they really do enough? And I guess my concern would be, not that they didn't try to do enough. It's that maybe they didn't do it right is, you know, there's some baggage with Collins. Does that end up becoming a problem? And he isn't quite the stud that everyone's hoping he's going to be, you know, are these guys just not the right guys, I guess would be my real concern. And well, there's no way to know that until we see how it all plays out, but I don't think you could have expected them to do more with the money they had available. No, like I said, I, I still would suspect they bring a veteran offensive tackle into camp. I think you're now through that next wave of free agency. There's still a lot of players out there at a lot of position groups that didn't get signed that now you can say, all right, you know, and you're coming on our dime. I mean, we, we're not, there's no, no more bidding war. Um, so I, I, like I said, I would suspect with the two open roster spots, Rick, that they bring at least one veteran offensive tackle. And I can't imagine they go into this season with, with Isaiah Prince as their main swing tackle, and then Deontay Smith, who's been moved all along the line as the, as the other backup at tackle. I, I got a feeling you're going to see another veteran come in here at the right price. So, no, I, I listen, they got three starters. 
They believe they've got a starter at guard in a, in a competition, and Jonah Williams is clearly a starter. Um, I I have a hard time faulting it. I, I get the point, and that's what I said. I think I think you'll see them bring somebody in at the right price before training camp because they do have the two open roster spots. What do you think about that quote particularly, that there's a decent chance we'll be sitting here next February expecting them to invest even farther up front? Do you think that's true? Do you think next year we'll be saying, uh, yeah, they better get someone else or another couple of guys here for the offensive line? Yeah, it's a good question because a lot of it, I think, is going to depend on Jackson Carmen and or Cordell Volson. Um, a lot is it going to depend on what do they want to do with Jonah Williams? They obviously gave him the fifth year extension, but what do they want to do with him long term? And then you're right to the other pieces of does Lyle Collins pan out? Um, I think Ted Karras does and will. I think Alex Kappa does and will. I don't really have a hard time with those guys. Um so, yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question. I, I would say this. If we are at that stage, Rick, it would mean this coming season did not work out very well due to either injury or or poor play from some of those guys they signed. Yeah, I think that's the other thing you got to remember, too, is people act like you have to have this dominant offensive line to compete. Look around the NFL. There's plenty of teams that struggle with offensive line play. It's hard to have a really good dominant offensive line, especially if you're paying – for other positions as well. So well, and we, we've we seen really good teams with really good quarterbacks find success without having a great offensive line. I think the Chiefs would be a good example in recent memory. I yes. think the Packers would be a good example for basically the last decade. I mean, there are, there are other examples of that where you can be successful without having a dominant force in front of you. Yeah, I mean, to your point, look at the look no further than the last two Super Bowl losers. And I know they were losers, but they were also participants. The Bengals and the Chiefs offensive lines were were horrifying and they still got to the Super Bowl and in both cases almost won the Super Bowl. So you're right. You can mask that stuff. All right. One other uh, question related to the Bengals sports books have released lines for all 18 weeks of the NFL season. We also have the win totals for each team. These lines I'm looking at are from FanDuel. Skinny, the Bengals' win total is nine and a half. Do you like the over or the under nine and a half wins for the Bengals this year? I'll go over, but I don't feel great about it just because of how hard that schedule is. At the same time, though, I think this team is better than last year's team, which won 10 games and threw one away at the end against Cleveland when they didn't play starters. So I'll go under, but I think I'm going to sweat it till the very last couple of weeks. Yeah, looking at all the different lines for this year, the Bengals are favored to win just eight of those games uh, on their schedule so oh, far, remember, but a it, lot of them are very close games. Yeah, was it was it last year, Rick, where they were only favored in two games, if I remember right, at this time? That's correct. Yeah. yeah. yeah so a big difference, obviously. And the, the funny thing is, when you look at the implied wins, meaning, you know, like some of those two and a half point spreads or three point spreads are predicted to go either way. Technically it's that they're up to nine and a half implied wins. If you, if you go through all the metrics, I won't try to explain the public math on here, but you know, it's, it's not that we talked about this last year when they were only projected to win two games. It's not that Vegas is saying they're only going to win two games. That's just how many games they're favored. In. Right. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm with you. I, I think 10 is kind of, where you're hoping they're going to be 10 or 11 wins uh, looking at that schedule. So uh, you got to be a little optimistic if you're going to take the over here, but at the same time, it'd be really difficult to take the under with this team, considering what they did last year, the improvements that they made. I, I, with it being a 17 game schedule, I think 
I think uh, if I've got to choose a side, I'm definitely going over. Yeah, I I, I am too. I, I just think we're going to sweat it. That's for sure. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I mean, you don't have any wiggle room there. Like I said, I think me saying they'll win 10 or 11 games feels fairly optimistic, to be honest. All right, Skinny, it was a huge week for the Cincinnati Bearcats football program as Luke Fickle and his staff landed commitments from 10 different prospects since Saturday. The Hall has bumped the Bearcats up to the number four rated recruiting class in the entire country for the time being. What do you make of Luke Fickle and his staff's success on the recruiting trail? Yeah, two things. Obviously, he's been a great recruiter and his staff have been great recruiters throughout. That's what got him out of that initial four and eight hole into the national semifinals, right? Um, And now I guess I would call this the Big 12 bump, right? I mean, that's what it feels like to me. This is the bump you're going to get off of moving to the Big 12. Yeah, I I think it's not, but I think as much as anything, it's playing in the college football playoff last year. I say all the time when it comes to college basketball recruiting, which I cover closely, the best thing you can do to raise your recruiting profile as a school is have success in the NCAA tournament. That's when everybody is watching across the country. That's when every single high school recruit says, I'd like to be a part of that. That looks fun. I want to play in that game. So if you're in it, it makes a huge difference when you go to recruit those kids next year. I think that's what a lot of this is about. And, you know, it's interesting. Justin Williams made a great point in a piece that he wrote this morning that UC has kind of crushed all the criticisms that they've been hearing about their football program over the last however many years. You know, is Fickle won't stay. He stay. He's continuously turned down opportunities to chase money to stay. UC doesn't play in a Power Five conference. Now they are going to be playing in a Power Five conference as soon as next year. Uh, a G5 won't ever make the playoff. Well, they did that. And then the recruiting su- success, that they won't be able to sustain that. And they clearly are doing that now. I mean, it, they have really shot down each and every criticism that, people have lobbed up against their program over the last however many years. And you know what your selling point also is, is we've developed some of these two-star, three-star guys into NFL players too. We've developed, we're a staff that develops. Look at all the guys that went to the NFL. Yes, it's because of their talent, but that's what we can help develop you into. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that's a huge part of their recruiting success as well. The thing about UC and, and what they've done over the last couple of years under Fickle is, it never felt like it was about a recruit or two that blew up to begin with. It's always felt like it was about fickle. So, I mean, as long as they have him running, I like, I don't think they're going anywhere. And now if that changes somewhere down the line, which I guess is always possible, then yeah, I mean, you'll be concerned, but right now it feels like they've got him. And as long as they do, I think they're going to be competitive in the big 12. I do too. I'm with you. And I think this class is, is the tip of the iceberg for that. Yeah, so they have 20 players named to the 2022 Athlon preseason American Athletic All-Conference team. <laughs> 20? I mean, like every player on their starting lineup basically is on the first, second, or third team. Well, think about this too. What, what all, the, the, all those players you lost to the NFL draft on top of it. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, that's crazy. They've never had an NFL draft class like that. So uh, lost a lot of talent, but... They're reloading, and if you look what's coming in the pipeline as they head to the Big 12, they've, they've got a lot more to come. So uh, pretty impressive stuff. On the recruiting front as well, Ohio State quarterback C.J. Stroud inked a name, image, and likeness deal with a car dealership in Canton, Ohio. 
While initial reports suggested that Stroud would be receiving a $150,000 Bentley, the quarterback changed his mind and opted for a $200,000 Mercedes G-Wagon at the dealership. His contract allows him to swap out cars every 45 to 60 days. And Ryan Day recently remarked that he believed it would cost about $13 million in NIL deals each year for the Buckeyes to continue fielding a competitive roster. Skinny, what do you think of CJ Stroud's new NIL deal and the $13 million that Ryan Day says the Buckeyes will need to, to field their roster going forward? Yeah, when I saw him say that, that it, it, it was it seemed very startling, but I think it goes back to the whole Nick Saban, Jimbo Fisher thing. These guys know, man, if you're going to play ball in the NIL marketplace, you better have a plan in place for that, and you better have people willing to pony up the money for that, period, end of story. Well, and also you he put a specific dollar figure to it. I thought was really interesting. Yeah, I don't know where that was coming from or what that was about or if it's serious or not. But he's like you said, he's obviously talking to his boosters and all of them. But he's also talking to recruits, like putting a big number on there and saying millions is like you start doing the math there and you're like, oh, if I'm a starter on that offense, I'm probably making upwards of a million dollars in that case or or at least a half a million. So. Yeah, I mean, the first of all, can we just talk about this whole C.J. Stroud situation? Why would that dealership not have him do a commitment video for the car? Yeah, exactly. Like, why, you know, they, they do the hats where they're going to choose this one or that one. If he was coming into the dealership and wasn't even sure which car he was going to get yet, why would you not put out a viral social media video of him doing a commitment video for the car? Yeah, and, and and he stands there. They got three cars behind him. He walks to one, opens the, the door. He's yeah, sliding that, the keys around on the table, deciding which yep, one he's going to pick or yep, something. Yep, I don't, I'm with you, man. That's the future, Rick. You need to you need to have to pass that on to some marketing guru. Well, but really though, in all seriousness, we despite all the money that's getting thrown around for these NIL deals, we haven't seen many smart ads or really well done viral campaigns that have gone huge. I mean, for the most part. These companies are just getting their money out of the fact that they're jock say, sniffer. Jock sniffer. Yeah. You say you're giving X amount of dollars to a college kid and everyone goes, oh, let's put that in the newspaper. Let's put that on our website for clicks. Like, no, I haven't seen one really impressive ad yet for any of this. No, and that's what that's where I, this is such an such a wild, wild west circumstance that we don't know where it's heading. Because I got to think these people that are shelling out things like this eventually are going to want some level of return on investment. Maybe not. Maybe they just like being a jock sniffer and good for them. Well, That's their money, their dealership, etc. But I would think you'd want some level of return on investment. Well, and I actually think this dealership is getting that. I mean, this is go everywhere in terms of this region, but even across the country, this the story is is getting picked up everywhere. So I mean, they're getting their name plastered all over the place. So I do think they're getting a lot of mileage out of it, but they could get a lot more if they were pairing it with really smart content on social media. But I, I actually think this is the most pure form of name, image, and likeness deals. Like this is what it was made for. Guys that are big stars should be able to use their name to go get a car or get free passes to the movies or get steak dinners or what, you know, stuff like that. That's what these college kids should be able to get with their name, image, and likeness, in my opinion. And this is something where the dealership gets something out of it. They get their name associated with CJ Stroud. Hopefully people buy more cars from them. This all makes sense to me. Like the, the one where I get a little tripped up and I don't know if I like it as much as where these schools are just having big donor packs form giant 
organizations basically and saying, we're all going to funnel money into this just to pay players out for coming here. That's where I think that that's not really what this was intended for. This was intended for if you're a star athlete with a big brand and you could go profit off of that, go ahead, go get something, go get a, that's true, but, ad but, deal but, from but, somebody. But how do you regulate it? You really don't. You can't. Yeah. I mean, the, the NCAA is trying to find a way around I'm, these uh, booster sponsored conglomerates for lack of a better term. I just don't see how they're going to be able to do that. Yeah. And I don't know if they're going to want to fight the legal battles that they're going to have to fight if they decide to do that. So you're probably right. It sucks that we, we have to have that, but at the end of the day, I'd rather have all of it than none of it, I guess is, is where I'm at. Yeah. I just go back to, I, to me, I think the money eventually dries up. I really do. I think it will to some extent too. I don't think this is going to continue to get more and more out of control and all these teams are just going to be paying all these kids crazy amounts. I mean, it'll happen, but I think it'll also go in cycles a little bit. The same way you've seen recruiting go in cycles in the past. So some team has a bunch of money all of a sudden or a booster that says he wants to pay all these guys because he's tired of losing to so-and-so. And all of a sudden you've got a really nice wave of talent. And then guess what? That guy's company goes under because he wasn't spending smartly and he was a hot shot who wanted to ball out. Or he just gets tired of not getting anything back for all the money he's spending. And all of a sudden you're recruiting tanks a little bit for a while. Like, yes, that's what's yes. happened in the past when they've been paying these guys under the table and people just didn't realize that's why it was so cyclical. That's what's going to happen now, too. McDonald's bags of cash for Tennessee. Exactly right. Hundred dollar handshakes with your business card. All right, Skinny, let's switch gears. We are one more time before we get some Ask Skinny Anything. The Celtics took a 2-1 to lead over the Warriors in the NBA Finals with a 116-110 win on Wednesday night. Game four will be played on Friday night at 9 p.m. in Boston. We both said last week we thought the Warriors had the upper hand. How surprised are you by the way this series has started? Boy, last night they just got punked, did they not? I mean, they just spread the floor, and those guards said, we're coming downhill you can't stop us, and if you do, you're going to have to gap us, and we're going to just pitch it out for an open three. I mean, they got what well, they have 56 points in the paint, basically half of their scoring in the paint, and that was mostly by the guards. They just punked them, and they're more physical. I still am hanging my hat on Golden State finding a way, but I'm feeling less and less confident for sure because I, I just don't know how they match that physicality. And when they do, it's going to be Draymond Green trying to match it in some stupid way, right? He's, going yeah, to he's some- been terrible. He, and he's been all—he was awful last night. I mean, just horrifyingly awful. But you—it it just feels he's on the cusp of doing something just stupid on top of it. Yeah. Well, he was—he was. You're right. He was right on the cusp of it in last night's game. By the way, if you are on the Warriors and you think they can pull this out, they're plus two hundred now to just win the series. Uh, Celtics in seven is another bet that I have my eye on a little bit. That's plus five fifty now if you take the Celtics in seven games. Uh, the big thing. Right now, my opinion is this Steph Curry injury, yeah, possibly. Injury. I mean, he basically was in the bottom of a scrum for the ball, and Al Horford dove into his leg, knee, ankle area, and it seems like, I don't know if it's his ankle or his knee that's bothering him, but he... he it, was, it, was his, it was his ankle. Okay, he yeah. came up limping, and they, they talked about it. Talked to him about it afterwards. He, did, he was pretty noncommittal. He said he thinks he'll be okay, but who knows? will happen. He's never exactly been the most durable guy. So if he is hurt, this series is over. And even if he's yeah, not, yeah. they've got a big hill to climb. 
Yeah, here's the other thing I, I guess I got a question of. What what can Golden State do different defensively? They tried the zone for a couple of sets, and they just got carved up. That didn't work very well. They can't guard them off the bounce, so I don't know how that's going to change. Do you need to put a rim protector in there and just hope for the best? I don't know. I mean, we saw it work in the second game of the series. They were fine. Draymond played much better. He was more physical, and they didn't have the same issues. Part of it is the Celtics have made some shots, too. Like, I mean, they, yes, they way. didn't make right. those, some of those shots in the Eastern conference finals and they were not nearly as impressive. And all of a sudden they've come out and in two of the first three games, they've shot the ball. Well, so uh, it, the one thing, eh, this isn't exactly a surprise or a revelation, but Jason Tatum is a bona fide superstar at this point. He is oh, sure. really damn good and can carry a team. And even on a night like last night where he's not at his best, he still in the, the late minutes of that game was, it really throughout the game too with his playmaking ability. It's not just as a score where he changes everything. When he starts to drive and your defense collapses a little bit, he is a really good passer and he trusts his teammates. So Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, these other guys can can make an impact. And uh, the other thing for the Celtics that's in their favor is Robert Williams is starting to look healthier again. He was maybe midway through that Eastern Conference Final Series. I think he he had that knee start bothering him. That re- he was he was the repaired knee. He was the rim protector last night. Yeah, and and well, that's what you saw. He's starting to get off his feet again to rebound, run the floor, and, and protect the rim a little bit. And when he's right, he makes a huge difference inside for them. And I think that's part of what's put Golden State in a hole. They don't want to play with big men on the floor. So if Robert Williams is able to play like that, he uh, he puts them in a hole up front. And I will tell you, I think Marcus Smart is a punk, but I, I'd love to have him on my team because he is just going to battle people, and he's going to get under their skin, and he doesn't care. He's so physical, and he's so good he's, defensively. He's a monster guard. He's like a cornerback playing guard. He's like a like a linebacker playing guard. Yeah, I was going to say more like a safety or linebacker with his physicality. I mean, he's so big and strong for a guard. That's just – you're right. I mean, he, he annoys the hell out of me, and if you're playing against him, you hate him, but – you take them on your team 10 out of 10 times. Absolutely. No question about it. All right, before we get to some asking innings, I got two things here for you, Rick. I will give a, a, a pick for this weekend's Belmont Stakes. Um, I do love the Derby winner. Rich Strike, they, they, they didn't run him in the Preakness. He's 7-2 to on the morning line. I know we can argue he got the perfect trip, etc. cetera. Uh, I watched him work on, uh, on my Twin Spires account on Memorial Day. They had him about midway through the Memorial Day card at Churchill come out and do a workout. And he looked really impressive in that workout. Um, so I think he's going to fire fresh. And I like Creative Minister as well. It's 6-1. to one. It's the 4-5. I'm going to box those two and probably put a win bet on top of Rich Strike. And then I'll probably put those two on top of maybe all-all in a trifecta and hope to catch a couple of bombs underneath. All right. What was the other what Was the other thing? You got something else for yeah, us and, and, Yeah, and this just broke while we were talking. Um, the PGA Tour has gone ahead and suspended the 17 players that have opted to go to the, the Live Tour. Um I do find some of these guys funny that they're trying to do this for the good of the game and to to spread. No, you're not. Yeah, yeah come on. Just, just admit honest. you want the bag. Correct. I'm good. You want to do that? That's it's fine. I get it. They're giving you a bag of cash. Uh, Dustin Johnson did say that. I'm doing what's best for my family. Absolutely. I get it. You're taking dirty money, but we can take this to the nth degree with dirty money. I mean, you could argue the NBA has dirty China money. I right. Mean, I, we, can, we can do this all day if you'd like to do this all day. Yeah, that's the thing I don't really – understand i guess from my perspective it's like what why are these guys supposed to be making these political statements with their sport like i I don't care where 
You know, I mean, like th- there are all types of different companies and countries and everything else that we all work with or associate with in some form that are doing terrible things. I, I like Dude, where, do, like you said, where do we draw the line on this of who we're not supposed to associate with or work with? We as a country are trying to buy Saudi oil. What do you, what do you think that money goes people? Yeah. I mean, I mean there's all types of crazy stuff going on in some of these other countries where we're buying our products from and what have you. And it's like, do you all want to pay much higher prices or do you want to continue to be able to buy things from Walmart? Yeah. And if you're somebody that chooses not to, that's fine. That's, that's, that's you for these guys. Listen, take the money and run, bro. I, I, I'm not, as long as you can tell me that, don't, don't give me any of this other excuse. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, like, I, I mean, I just don't really have much of a problem with these guys going ahead and making a crazy amount of cash to go play in a golf event, which is what they do. They're golfers. All right, Skinny, let's get into some Ask Skinny Anything talk. We've got a handful of questions here. We'll start with this one from Mark. He says, you start the Skinny Network and outbid Fox or CBS for NFL games. You need three play-by-play and three analysts. Who are you hiring? Can be current NCAA, guys retired, but must be alive for the six slots. This can also be a knowledgeable, yet-to-be analyst like Witt or TJ Hishmanzada. Um, yeah, I was going to say, because my go-to guy would be Dick Enberg, and he is unfortunately no longer alive. Um, current guys. I like I like Ian Eagle a lot. Everyone likes Ian Eagle. I do. I like him yeah. a lot. I'm a big fan. Um. I like Mike Tirico a lot. I just think he's really solid, really smart, um, without trying to be too smart. And Al Michaels would be my three play-by-play guys. All right. I've got Kevin Harlan. Yeah, he's a little much for me, but he'd, he'd make the top 10 probably. Uh, the other no- <laughs> it was I think it was the Eastern Conference Finals. I can't remember, but it was one of the Eastern and Western Conference Finals. I don't even remember who he was talking about, but when he was talking about the guy's hair who wouldn't move. Porter had it. Was he out of bounds? Bertans down there, and not a hair on his head moved. It never moves. His hair does not move. That was one of the funniest damn calls I've heard in a while. I love Kevin Harlan. He's good, but he's also hilarious. So I'm all in on Kevin Harlan. Vern Lundquist I'd also do. Love Vern Lundquist. That's a good call. And Brad Nessler. I really like the college guys. I, I'm a big Brad Nessler fan too. I, I yeah, those are all good. Those are good ones. And it's then who would you go color? Neither one of us. Neither one of us went Gus Johnson. Yeah, I like Gus. I like Gus, but for football, I'm not as big of a fan of Gus. I like Gus more for basketball. Yeah, I do too. I do too. So this is. I, I can't remember the initial question. This is for a football network, correct? Yeah, this is for uh, to do NFL games. I, I tell you what, I love me some Gary Danielson. Okay, I could see that. I mean, they, they have a great SEC crew there. They do. Very much so. Um, let me think for a second who else I would like. I'm not big on the Tony Romo, Phil Sims, Troy Aikman group. I'm really not. So I, honestly, w- I would do Romo. I know people get annoyed by him, but I still – I learn something when I watch the games he calls. Yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think Witt would be good in that role. I know somebody brought Witt up as a future guy. I don't, I don't see it. Do you? Uh, I don't know. For one, I don't know if he really has the voice for it. He kind of right. has that country right. draw. I don't know if he's yep. if he likes talking that way. Uh, I I I'd have to hear it. But yeah, he's not someone that jumps out to me as like he's definitely going to be a broadcaster. 
yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't like I don't like Collinsworth as a as a color guy, so I had to toss him. I like um, him more than most, but he wasn't in my top three. Yeah. Yeah, give me a couple names because I, I honestly I I don't think much of many of those guys. I really don't. So I would go Romo. I, like I said, I enjoy him. Uh, I'd go back to the college ranks. I think Herb Street is as good as there is at either. I do level. too. Yeah, I, I do too. I, I'm I'm with you. I know he's a guy that gets under people's skin a little bit. So I'll I'll go two college guys. I'll go Danielson and and him. Um, and then my third would be Peyton Manning. I I I know uh, only doing the Manning cast right now, but I think he'd be really good on just a normal color analyst role too. Yeah, I don't know. I think he'd be too much of a chucklehead. Sort of in a similar way that Romo is probably, but both of those guys, when they're taught, they do a really good job of explaining the stuff that I want to hear about, the stuff that I don't know exactly. Like the way they can call out a coverage and explain it so easily of like what you just saw between a, a safety and a cornerback and what they were trying to accomplish there. They point out things that I don't already know. And I, I really enjoy that. That's fair. I'm trying to think if there's any coaches coaches out there. I tell you what, I, I thought he, he, he's way too old for this now. I always thought Dick Vermeil was really good at that stuff when he was an analyst. God, I don't even remember Dick Vermeil doing analyst work. Yeah, no, he was. I thought he was really good. Any other names you want to throw out there and move on? Nah, I'm 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 one of those guys. Even though I I I, I do announce myself, I I just I don't tune in for the announcers. I just don't. I'm the same way. I've always said I'm much more on the. It's why I can listen to Bill Walton. I know a lot of people are like, oh, he doesn't talk about the game, but it's like, I don't need that. I'd rather listen to a good podcast. So if you've got two entertaining people just having a conversation, I can live with that. Uh, All right, Skinny, would you rather (laughs) one, be a baseball player and have your home run robbed two, be a field goal kicker and have your kick blocked or three, be a basketball player and get dunked on? I think I'd rather be a baseball player getting a home run robbed. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I don't want to be the guy getting – no one wants to be the guy getting dunked on. Agreed. Yeah, I mean, if your home run gets robbed, it's like, well, you hit the hell out of the ball and just didn't quite get in the airstream enough or whatever. I mean, it's, it doesn't embarrass you. While I was in college, I was playing in a league at at, at what the YMC, one of the YMCA's up here actually in northern Kentucky, and on a fast break once, I, I tried to set up to take a charge, and a dude jumped over me and threw it down. Literally jumped over me and that's, threw it down. That's exactly what you deserve for taking yes, a charge. Yes, correct. Correct. Uh, is Nadal the greatest athlete of all time with a comb over, Skinny? <laughs> He's the greatest athlete of all time, and Lou Henson is the greatest – or no, Gene Cady's the greatest coach of all time with the comb over. Yeah, Gene Cady does have a great comb over. It's a uh, brutal comb over. Dan also says Nadal has understandably become synonymous with Roland Garros, uh, 14 titles, career record of 114 and three, et cetera. Can Skinny think of any athletes as tied to a particular venue? Are there any places Skinny associates with particular athletes? No, that's a great question. I I, I would say no. I mean, if you want to go to, um, you know, you want to go to golf, nobody, I mean, Tiger was as dominant as there was. Obviously, Jack holds the record for majors, but. Yeah, Jack at the Masters, maybe? Maybe, but. I mean, it's I still mean, not the same. Not like nothing compares to this. Nothing compares to that. That's correct. I mean, honestly, nothing compares to that. So, no, I, I think that's a great one. I, that, that is an incredible record. That that record or the fact that Scott Foster refereeing the Celtics, the Celtics are 13-0. <laughs> that's and pretty. He, and he pretty refereed cool. last night. That's pretty incredible, too. I will say that. Uh, yeah, is. I mean, that doesn't feel like a coincidence, does it? 
No, it really doesn't. And I know people uh, pay them. I, I probably need to pay more attention to that when I'm placing bets. I know some people do factor in the, the officials a lot more. I never go quite that far, but uh, w- w- you might need to with that situation there. Yeah, and I, and I will say this real quickly. I mean, I didn't think last night was called egregiously bad by any stretch of the imagination. The Celtics were simply better. No, but the Celtics did did win. They did win 13-0. and uh, yeah, the only other in terms of athletes that I'd associate with like a particular venue, the only one I could come up with um, was like Jordan at the Garden or, 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 or Larry Bird at Boston Garden. OK, yeah, that would be another one. All right, Skinny, who alive has shaken the most hands? Uh, BJ says he's going with Queen Elizabeth. D- did she shake hands? See, I thought she did not shake hands. I don't know. I. I- I don't know. Maybe that's supposed to be a joke. I don't know. Yeah, I no, no. I, I um, I'll go. Let's see. Who would have? Who, who? Who's a good handshaker? Probably out there. It's got to be. It's got to be a politician, right? Probably like a former president. Yeah, but they all dis. I'll go Bill Clinton because he's kind of stayed in the public eye for a long time. Yeah, and he's probably done some like closed door handshakes. Out I'll in the bet streets he has. too. So. I'll bet he has. Yes. Yeah. I you know, I don't I don't have a good answer for this. I mean, this just like this is one of those that doesn't click in my brain at all. I'm like, I, I have nothing for you. Nothing funny, nothing that would be a good answer for this. I assume president. That's where I would go. No, like, I, I would... the first two things that pop in my mind when I hear this are president and Walmart greeter. Walmart greeter is a good one. Here, here's my question for you, Rick. Are you are you a big handshake guy? Yeah, I am. I am too. I think uh, COVID kind of changed that a little bit for everyone. But I, yeah, like I was definitely a big handshake so, guy. So this is funny. So this girl that I used to work with at Turfway Park back in, in the 2000s, she, she, she got me on this one and I, I never realized I did it. So when I shake your hand and I still do it to this day and I don't even think about it, I literally will turn your hand. Yeah. I'll turn my hand left. I don't we, know why that is. She said, you're an uber aggressive handshaker. I go, I've never really thought of it that way. She goes, catch yourself the next time. And when I did, I'm like, I do. I actually grab somebody's hand and I turn. I don't, I don't know why I do that. We've talked about this before. I and I, I do have my theories on that. I think you're cucking people subconsciously. You're like, it must be. You're d- doing a power move there of like, I'm taking control of this handshake. I think but that's I usually, what that is. I, I usually do that and I'll slap them like on the shoulder or on the elbow, like, hey, good to see you. So it's kind of a double mood. It's the handshake turn and a little slap on the on the back. And I you're right, I don't even know I'm doing it. Yeah, I think it's a power move. I gotta be honest. But I do I do like the uh the secondary touch. Like you go to shake the hand and then you pat the elbow or the back. Yep. That's yeah, that's a pro move. It makes you feel like you're really uh interested in the person. I got a handshake. I did. I did boys Ohio. I broadcast boys Ohio volleyball this past weekend in Columbus, and I had a guy I'd met for the first time. Somebody introduced me, and I got the wet fish handshake from him. Mm. It's just not good. It's just not good. Yeah. That's the worst. Is when you get caught, like when someone grabs your hand before you're like ready, and you wet fish someone else accidentally. Yeah, like you you're not a wet fish guy. Yeah, exactly. Almost, yeah, you almost want to do it over. Yeah, but there's certain situations where you can't like stop mid you know, and reposition your, I don't know. It's that is one of the worst feelings though, when you wet fish someone accidentally, because it's never, it never happens when it's like some random yahoo out in the streets or whatever. It's always like someone important that you're meeting and you accidentally wet fish them. And you're like, God damn it. Now it's you a, think someone it, cuck. It, 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 it's a bad first impression as you know. Yeah, it really is. 
All right. What is the best microwavable meal money can buy, Skinny? I am. I'm a big. This is going to sound crazy. I'm a big. I I have like three go-to microwave meals that that are in my freezer at the moment downstairs. We have an extra freezer. It is Salisbury steak and macaroni and cheese, and then I'll usually make like a side of uh, of broccoli with it. I love these. They're they're almost like Weight Watchery, but I like the taste of them. It's it's a it's a kung pao chicken, a, a sweet and sour chicken, and then a it's a, a beef teriyaki that, that that you can put in there. They're, they're quick, they're easy, they're good for you, and I really like them. Isn't uh, your Salisbury steak? Isn't that where you use the butt of the bread? You dip that in the Salisbury absolutely. steak juice. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, that's or, a disgusting. I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I like to do too. Take some of the macaroni and cheese and, and mix it in there. It's almost like a, it's almost like a little mini cheeseburger taste. Okay. I'm big. If it's microwave meals, I'm pretty much anything that tastes like pizza. So it's either like a hot pocket, a bagel bite, or really what I think is your best bang for your dollar is uh, the DiGiorno personal pizzas that you microwave like for three minutes. Those are pretty solid for a microwave pizza. Yeah, I don't I don't have the small microwave pizzas, but I'm with you on on the whole bagel. Every once in a while, I like to bake the bagel bites, though. Oh, yeah. Little, well, all of these things are better baked or air fried yeah. or what have you. But if you're going to pop I, I something in the microwave, you, and you're that desperate. I don't know, man. I, I, I rarely have ever baked pizza rolls. I'll always put those in the microwave. Oh, really? Yeah, they're. I think they're better in the oven personally. But, you know, okay. I, again, to me, I, come out if, nice I'm, and bubbly. if I'm eating pizza rolls, though, I'm not trying to wait 30 minutes for the oven to preheat and then cook like it's got to. I that's, can do it in two minutes in the microwave. Accurate. That's correct. And there and the taste it, it doesn't really compromise the taste all that much. And if you're doing that, usually you're either half drunk or you just need something real fast. Yeah, you're pathetic and, and desperate to begin with if you're eating something out of a microwave. So it really doesn't correct. matter all that much what it tastes like. It's a good point. Yeah, I pretty much anything that comes out of a microwave, I almost always just pour sriracha over top of it and bear and grin. Yeah, no, I, that, that that usually cures all for sure. Yep. All right, Skinny, that's all I got. Good stuff. I appreciate it, Rick. We will be back next week. Hopefully, uh, maybe we can win a little money in this Belmont Stakes, and we'll see where this whole PGA Tour live tour goes because it sounds like it's getting uglier by the day, and it's going to be really ugly next week because we've got U.S. Open golf to talk about, and those guys are supposed to be able to play in that event. So we'll see where it goes. For Rick Boring, I'm Richard Skinner. Thanks for being with us. It's been the Skinny Podcast, the weekly poker edition presented by Brian Kiefer of Pine Lending.